Well, I hope you had a, a good week, and it, it doesn't look like we're going to get too much snow, so that's a good thing. Uh, let's go ahead and read our verse together today, one that I think we all uh, can use this time of year. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. All right, take out your Bibles and turn uh, to the book of James, chapter 2. Now, again, what I'd like us to consider today is, as all Sundays, is that, remember uh, uh, Mike, who used to do our, our prayer time, he used to say, let's be hearers of the word and not just do, uh, doers of the word and not just hearers only. And that's really the theme of this, is how do we put our faith actually into practice? How do we actually make it real? And this is a challenge because what he is talking about is putting your faith beyond a belief system, okay? And the reality of what that belief is. And quite honestly, this debate will continue on into to the time when Jesus returns. Is what is real faith? In other words, uh, is salvation praying a prayer and asking Jesus to come into your heart and save you. Okay? And I think all of us in here would say yes. Whether obviously we understand the heart is the, who we are, that we're, that we're confessing Jesus with our mouth. It's not just head knowledge. Okay? Um, I was told many years ago that there were professors at Lynchburg College who taught the Bible. And they articulated from the first day, I don't believe any of this stuff I'm teaching you, but I'm teaching you as a historical document or as literature, but not the truth. Okay. And so now it's the University of Lynchburg and, and I don't know who teaches what over there now, but this was years ago. But the issue is, is that you can know about God. You can know about Jesus, the historical person of Jesus and not have saving faith. You can know a lot about God. And you can even have certain things that you've done in your past that you say, well, when I was six, I prayed a prayer, and uh, I, I guess that's when I was saved. That's great. But what has it done in your life? Is it active in your life? What's going on in your life right now? Is it real? Because we remember the parable of the sower. The three seed was received. And Jesus explains it. He says, the first one received it, but didn't understand it. And Satan came and took it away. And we see through each of these seeds, except for the one that produced fruit, is the only one that actually remained. The others were just taken away or destroyed. It, the sun came out and scorched it, etc. And he explains this. Jesus explains it. So here's the passage itself from James 2, 14-26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And he, he, he asks a question here. He says, you know, uh, if you have faith in God. Can that faith save you? And the response, obviously, from the way James is writing it is no. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, in our modern-day vernacular, other than that, those kind of phrases, we're saying, pray for you. 
Sorry to hear about that. Well, I'll be praying. And you do nothing for them. It's like, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without works is dead. It's not alive. And saving faith is living faith. But someone will say, you have faith? I have deeds. You, you, you have faith? Well, and I grew up in the United Methodist Church. Now, this is not necessarily every United Methodist Church. This was just the one I grew up in. And my pastor and I had, to, I would say, debates. I was in the Boy Scouts. I was an Eagle Scout. And I was going for my God and Country pin in Boy Scouts. And I was required to sit down with my pastor and talk with him through, you know, whatever they wanted to talk about, about spiritual things as a part of that to earn it. And my pastor, whose father, he was the United Methodist pastor, his father was a Baptist minister. And when he became a teenager, he said, I am leaving the Baptist church. I don't believe in this stuff. I'm going to become a United Methodist. And rebelled against his father, went into the United Methodist ministry. Nice man. But he says, Lou, you'll never know until you die whether you're going to heaven or not. He says, and it will all be based at the end of the day on how much good you've done. I said, I don't think so. I said, that's not what the Bible says. And how could you be my pastor teaching the Bible when you don't even believe it? And we would debate back and forth together. You know, and I would talk to him, you know, and, and oh, when he found out it was going to liberty. Oh, oh, my. He, he almost gave up the ghost. And I was proud of the fact, you know, I was like, I'm going to someplace that believes the Bible. I said, you know, he, he recommended another school to me, which is a great school. But I said, if you went to that school and you turned out that way, I'm not going to that school. <laughs> That's exactly what I told him. It was like, see, some people say, well, I have faith. Some people go, I have deeds. I'm going to get to heaven by my good works. See, that's where you put the, the you know, that's really where it's at. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. <laughs> you believe in God? That's awesome. So this, the demons also believe. Okay? You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son? Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. If you go back to that passage, you will see how he put his faith into practice with Isaac. Okay? So he doesn't just talk about Father Abraham. He then goes on and talks about Rahab, the prostitute. Okay? In the same way, what was the evidence that Rahab had faith in God? She did them in. She allowed them into her home. And she hid them and sent them the, the, the soldiers who came to her house in a different way. 
Hey, if you go this way, you'll find them. You'll catch them. I can imagine this. It's like these soldiers are like, I am going to get famous because I'm going to catch the spies. She sent us in this way and they found nothing because she sent them in a different direction later. Hey, they're going this way. You go this way. You'll be okay. Yeah, Bob. Who I think she also expressed it in the word. And we've heard about the God. Yes. We've heard about what he's done. And I believe. Yep. So she verbalized it. But then, as James says, she put it into practice by receiving them and sending them out in a different way, in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So the bottom line of this lesson today is it is great to say what you believe. But if it's not accompanied by godly works, it's meaningless. It's worthless. It's dead. Bob. Along that same line, she believed, she expressed it. But she also expressed that everybody had heard, but they didn't do anything about it. That's, That's right. Everybody in the, it, it had heard about it. Everybody was aware of what was going on. Jericho was what, you know, it was, as a city, it was actually a, a uh, military fortress, in which people were there, but it was primarily a military fortress. It wasn't just like a town or village. And so nevertheless, they had heard about it. They knew about it, but did nothing literally about it. So why do some people have good intentions, but never do anything? I, I think I put in the notes, but why do people, and I changed it to some. I added that this morning because I thought, yeah, I, okay, I don't want to give people the wrong impressions. But do you ever know people that have good intentions, but never do anything about it? Probably the number one thing that I've heard Okay, and if you've had this, I don't remember you telling me this. So don't take it personal. I don't know how many people say, I'm gonna write a book one day. And they never do. They talk about it. They dream about it. They say they're gonna do it. It never happens. Good intentions, but it just doesn't happen. Okay? And some people, when they do, they think it's gonna be a bestseller and they wonder why no one buys it. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Okay, it's hard. What are what are other examples? Okay, what are some examples of good intentions that don't come to fruition? Yeah, you meet someone socially and you might say, "Let's get together soon." Again, it right. never happens. Yeah, let's get together. It never happens. Yeah, I'm going to start exercising. Whenever. I'm going to start exercising on Monday. And Monday comes and something gets in the way. Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> when those good intentions are directed to you but don't come to pass, how does that make you feel? Have you ever had a promise made by someone to you and then it didn't come to pass? They had good intentions. They weren't lying to you necessarily, but they just don't necessarily come to pass. Human nature causes that at times. How does that make a person feel? Yeah, said. Sometimes you're relieved. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, but not likely. But yeah, sometimes you're relieved. You know? It depends on what the, the, the circumstance is. 
hey, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll come over. <laughs> That's what, <yeah. laughs> But it's sometimes, you know, though, when they don't come through, you think, well, you know, we're all faulty. You know, I, yep. I can't blame, it can't be bad at them because I've done things that I haven't fallen through. Sure. So, you know, it, that, it, you let, exactly. you let them slide. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just let it slide. How do we develop the habit of doing good? Just do it. Just make each, you know, some people have good intentions and they think by saying something with good intention that that completes it. It right. doesn't really have to be done. You know, I don't really have to follow through, but just saying it was the right thing to say or the good thing to say. Yeah, absolutely right. They think that just by saying it, it is, is, is all that's necessary. And that's the same principle that obviously James is trying to say here. Just saying you're a follower of Jesus doesn't make you one. Yeah. Um. I think part of it has to do with reflecting or narrowing the teaching or assessment. We have to um, periodically, whether it's daily or weekly, establish a program. It has to do with what did I do? What did I do? Or what good have I done this week? Right. What did I say I was going to do? Did I do it? I assess on a regular basis, whatever that is. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm going to keep talking. Um, you know, I think that there's more, again, more of a discipline than a habit. I don't think doing good really would be a habit. It's the discipline that we make it. Yeah. It's not necessarily a habit. It's, it's a discipline. Yeah. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. that you're going to do something and you have a habit of not falling through can you take that into the Christian life too that that's the way the relationship is with their savior that they say they're going to do something and they never fall through sure any type of sin that you're struggling with prior to becoming a Christian will follow you into being a, after you become a Christian in other words, you may be addicted to something. You could be a liar. Yes. That doesn't mean you're a liar as a Christian because we're transformed. Yes. There's no condemnation. That's not your identity anymore, but you may still have that problem of, of lying. And you bring that into your Christian faith. And But you're going to be convicted of it if you're truly a follower of Christ. And so then it becomes the process of, of sanctification where the Holy Spirit keeps talking to you going... You keep saying you're going to do the right thing, but you need to start doing the right thing. You know, and that's what's going to happen if you're truly a follower of Christ. So real faith is action-oriented and more than what we say. So real faith is more than just saying, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. It's, it's more than what we say. Okay, so he gives this illustration. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And then he gives this example of someone who's without food or clothing, and we don't do anything about it. It's in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. It's meaningless, okay? So, is faith that isn't displayed by good words saving faith? No. Is James contradicting Paul, though? Romans 3.28, someone read that for me. We maintain that a person... 
apart from the work of the law. So Paul here in Romans is saying that you're justified, you're declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. So is he contradicting Paul? No. Why? Saving faith that works is not works that saves. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Saving faith that works is not works that saves. In other words, it's not the works that you're doing that earns you eternal life. It is the works that you do that prove you have eternal life. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay? And it's not of yourselves. Yeah. So like this, the thief on the cross accepted Christ at the last minute. Right. He didn't have time to do good works. Sure. So his faith saved him. Exactly. But what was his work? Or what was, what was, what was the affirmation of his faith? He rebukes. Yeah, in other words, he had faith in Jesus on the cross, and the other guy it says, hey, if you're really Jesus, get down off that cross and save us too. And what does the, uh, the other thief say? Basically, shame on you. We deserve this. This man has done nothing. See how he's putting his faith into action? Even on the cross. He's verbalizing a rebuke. We deserve what we're getting. This man is innocent. Has done nothing to deserve this. And so he's using an apologetic here to think through this. What are you thinking, buddy? You know, and then he just looks to him and says, remember me. It's a beautiful illustration. But at the same time, we, we look at this and we go, you know what? It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, no one's going to be in heaven. I say this every time I read the passage. No one's going to be in heaven going, I know why I'm here. I taught... Home Builders Life Group at Thomas Road Baptist Church for 75 years. God forbid. <laughs> that would be, uh, I'd be one old man talking to myself. <laughs> no. It's not about, well, look at all the things I've done. Salvation is not about me. It's about Jesus and what he's done. And that's why if you know the Son, you know the Father. It's about relationship. And that's what faith is all about, trusting what he's done. And then allowing God to work in my life to re resemble Jesus in everything that I do. That's hard because that's not natural for anybody. You know, John said, if you're going to say you walk in, you know, or know Christ, know God, then walk as Jesus did. That's tough. I don't know about you, but that's not easy. But I don't have to do it. I've just got to learn to get Lou out of the way so that God's Holy Spirit can work through me. He can do it. It's him doing it. It's not me. So there's nothing to boast here, right? No, you're not that your body's in the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's God's sanctification process. James shares a real practical illustration how should the church respond to those in need? Okay? So in other words, we see people in need. And he says, okay, you see somebody hungry or without clothes. And you say to yourself, be warm. God bless you. 
Okay? Now, here's the danger. We can walk away at that situation, and I would have, there's, there's some people do something out of guilt. Not because of a heart of love, but out of guilt. Okay? And if I added this to your notes, it would have went more than a half a page, and so I just said, I'll just talk about it. So we can, we, sometimes we do things out of guilt rather than out of an act of love. Sometimes we do good because we want to be seen by others. Or people, I'm not saying you or me per se, but people do that. People do good because they want to be seen by others as doing good. Okay? Some people do good because of what they're going to receive. In other words, they think I'm going to give to God and God is going to look down and go, wow. I am so impressed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something good for you now. And, we, and people literally, they told me this. I did this and this and this, and God did nothing for me. So I stopped giving. I stopped doing it anymore. If God's not going to do it, it's like, so what was your motivation? You give to get. Yeah. This is not the stock market. You know, if you don't give me a certain return, I'm, I'm quitting and I'm going to somebody else. Who's going to give me the great, which God is going to give me the greatest return on my investment? This is not about the stock market. God is not about the stock market. It's about doing the right thing for the right reasons. Yeah, Don. See, man looks at the outward appearance, and they may even say, wow, you did a really nice thing there. Man, they, they are such a giving person, but the reality is God knows the heart. We could be doing it for the wrong reasons the entire time. And God goes, you've got your reward, right? Isn't that what he says? Sermon on the Mount, you've got your reward. Yeah, Mark. Um, so at the beginning of this chapter, he addresses them as brothers and sisters. Yeah. The, the letter was written to brothers and sisters. And secondly, how many works do you have to know that you do before you know you have saving faith? I think the answer is God, he's writing this to these dispersed Jews. That's the primary thing. He's writing to those that were under persecution. And now think about it. There was a lot of poverty. We're going to actually get into that idea here in a moment. But there was a lot of poverty. When you leave everything because of persecution, you're going to see people in need. But just like today, there are people that have and there are people that have not. How do you deal with this? In other words, what he's communicating to these folks is, okay, those of you who took off with cash, you've got stuff. Don't hoard it because you just want to keep your wealth. If you see somebody who needs something, do something about it. Okay? Don't just go, 
I'm, I'm glad I'm not in that situation. No, but we get into this mindset to think about an eternal perspective on everything. What are you going to have the moment you die? What are you taking with you? We're not, we don't have a false belief like the Egyptians did. And, go, you know, Pharaoh's having these, you know, all this gold and wealth and stuff in there, servants put in there, so that in the afterlife, they're going to come back and take care of you and you're going to be rich. It's still there, or it's been taken and put in museums or stolen. Okay? The bottom line is, when you're dead, you're gone. You're either in heaven or you're in hell. The reality then is life at that point is over. But when we look at this and we go, wait a minute, how am I supposed to live my life? If you have, give. That doesn't mean, again, don't do it out of guilt. There's, there's nothing wrong with providing for your family. Okay? You do it, the right motive is because you have and you want to share. Because you just want to do it for them. Because you love them. So when you, when you think through this, you, you think through it, okay, how much do I really need? How much do I really need? There's all, you know, that's so relative, isn't it? So that's why, how does this specifically relate to those he's writing to in this letter? They were struggling. They, some had, some didn't. So what do you do in that situation? We can't, we can't meet the needs of the poor all over the world. God doesn't expect us to. But he does expect us to do it for those that we're around and we know of. Yeah, Will? Example, we all have different spiritual gifts. Some have the gifts of helps. Then use your gift of helps where needed. Some have the gift of giving. Then you give because of your gift to make wealth, you give wealth. Some have the, the, the gift of teaching, then teach. And it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man. God's gifted you, you need to teach. You need to put it into practice. Whatever the thing is, in other words, if you have something, use it. 
use it for, for the glory of God. Real faith is more than what we believe. James 2, 18 and 19 says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay? Is what a person believes important? Yes. Yes. Would you agree with that? Is what a person believes important? Okay, yeah. Why? This is huge. I, this is the one of the beginning questions I try to teach my students every single year. Because of what a person believes is important. What's more important is why. Because you base your life on it. What else? It drives your decision making. Yes, it drives your decision making. For example, my point was, is this, when I'm trying to help these students to think correctly. There is an idea floating around our culture and around our world today. Live and let live. Okay? Live and let live. Hey, you have every right to believe whatever you want to believe. I have no right to criticize it. If you're not wrong, you're as right as what I believe. No. What, why does what a person believe matter? How they live their life. It does what? It drives their conduct. In other words, going back to this passage, what you believe will directly impact what you do. Okay? So in other words, if you have a certain belief, it will then impact your choices and what you actually live out. Is that important? Absolutely. So in other words, here's what I, where I get frustrated with my brothers and sisters in my classes. Okay, think about this. If a Christian student believes the idea, hey, live and let live. If they want to believe that that's their right and choice, and I'm not going to contradict it, I'm not gonna argue with them, let them live the way they want to. Why am I? Why do I think that what I believe is right and what they believe is wrong? Because what a person believes will impact what they do and where they'll go. Because if a person believes that everyone has a right to believe whatever they want to believe and live their life the way they want to, and that's, it, it's perfectly fine, I shouldn't get involved, that would mean if Christianity is true, and your sister or brother in the flesh is an agnostic, an atheist, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, a non-believer. It's not, or your friend, your, your schoolmate, your boss, your coworker. Does it impact that? If Christianity is true, and they're not a Christian, where will they spend eternity when they die? Does it matter what they believe? Yes. But in our culture today, we, we kind of like, chill out, relax. Don't make this a big deal. Let it live and let it live. Bob.
comparable to sower, which I shared at the beginning of class. What's the result? Okay, the first one, Satan comes and takes it away. Second one, they get emotionally excited, but nothing happens, nothing changes. The trials of the world come in, the third one, trials come, uh, it's gone. They give up, they walk away. So the belief has not impacted them to uh, the result. So, so they could, you could have the belief, but not the impact. But that still, it, it, was, it, it still would not end in the result of heaven. Head knowledge, there's no relationship. Yeah, yeah. In Corinthians chapter 5, you have a brother of the Lord Jesus that is living the most adulterous life. And Paul refers to him as a brother. He doesn't say he's not a brother. Sure. And he is living adulterous. He's having, he also. It, it's actually an incestuous relationship. He's having a relationship. He's committing sin that even the Gentiles. Sure. In other words, here's the point, though. Okay? Are we talking about sinless perfection? Absolutely not. 1 John 1.8 says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The problem is, though, is sometimes people who believe and they do good, okay, there is good action in them. Life can happen, and it calls them a carnal Christian. They walk in the flesh. And that's the constant struggle. Okay, so in other words, a person's eternal destination. Yeah, yeah. Isn't about necessarily always doing the right things. In fact, sometimes Christians do very bad things. As an example, was Peter a follower of Jesus after the resurrection? Yeah. Yeah. But he was telling Gentiles, you've got to be circumcised, circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul had to do what? Confront him to the face. His theology was bad because he was wanting to fit in with the Jews. He wanted to make them happy. So there are things that we believe and some things that we do are just immoral and wrong. That doesn't mean we're not a follower of Christ. And we need to be rebuked in those situations. Okay? But can a follower of Christ not live the Christian faith, period. No. Yeah. So I think right. one of the things is this gets down to a problem with the English language <clears throat> is that it's a difference between believe and believe in. The demons don't believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus is. Right? And so that's the problem that people get into. You, you can believe all the stuff that's in the Bible is there, but do you put your faith in it. So. Absolutely. Great distinction. Believing or believing in. Yeah. So what you would be saying is if the demons were to change their behavior and brought good works, would they be saved? They can't. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. So to make that argument but demon, but, but angelic beings, though, and humans are completely different. Yeah, but angelic angelic beings are set in their destiny, yes. but humans aren't. Yes. So humans and, and angels are completely different in the perspective of God and salvation. Demons are going to hell, and they will be in hell for eternity, and angels will be in heaven uh, for eternity. But humans, by it's not just about what they believe. 
But how? It, but it is. See, that's the whole challenge of James. Salvation is not by works, but salvation will bring works. The evidence will reveal itself in your life, though it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect in that evidence throughout your life. There could be instances, for example, a follower of Jesus may accept Christ as their savior, and then all of a sudden, something happens in their life. Their spouse dies, their child dies, a parent dies, some prayer is not answered, and they are disillusioned at that moment because of that experience. And they may go through a challenging time of faith. And through that time, they may even choose to fall into a lifestyle of sin. Which maybe Paul may be addressing, obviously, a lifestyle sin here in Corinthians. But the issue then is, the real question is, was it saving faith? And if he calls him a brother or sister in Christ, if he knows that, then he believes with all of his heart that they were a follower of Jesus. Does he know that, though? Other than the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write that, that he's writing this letter to them, the answer would be no. In other words, can I know for sure that you're a Christian? No. However, I can see evidence of it by what you do or do not do. Here, and I've got to close because we're, we're, we're already past 12 on this one. But nevertheless, here's a point. It's fruit on the tree. Fruit on the tree. Okay? Now, here's the, here's the point, though. This is the tough one for all of us. How do I know that someone's a follower of Christ? I only know by what they say and by what they do. But only they will know the truth. Because they could be playing the game and living their life. And so what we do, what's my responsibility? My responsibility as a brother in Christ is to do everything that I can to create the atmosphere for them to grow in Christ and give like Christ, to live like Christ. I do everything I can because you know what? God's going to hold me responsible for me, not them. But I've got to be responsible for what I do. So should I say anything that might deter your spiritual growth? Should I do anything? I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to do this or that. No, I, you know, I, I can't forgive you. Does what I do impact that person? Absolutely. So I have got to make decisions. I'm going to do everything I can to create an atmosphere for you to be in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's my job. That's my responsibility. And when I do that, I'm actually living out my faith. It's when I pull back and I use all kinds of excuses that the Lord says, hey, Lou, for by grace have you been saved through faith. And it's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which I foreordained for you to do. In other words, get her done. Just do it. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, may we learn to have our faith and believe it passionately, but to also put it into practice. 
May we learn how to die to ourselves. Forgive me, Father, when I don't do that, when I get selfish, self-centered, egotistical, whatever. God, help me to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you. And may we all do that today. We love you. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.